0: Good morning and welcome to Sunova's fourth quarter and full year 2023 earnings conference call. Today's call is being recorded and we have allocated an hour for prepared remarks and question and answer. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Rodney McMahon, Vice President, Investor Relations at Sunova. Thank you, please go ahead.
1: Thank you, operator. Before we begin, please note during today's call, we will make forward-looking statements that are subject to various risks and uncertainties as described in our slide presentation, earnings press release and our 2023 Form 10-K. Please see those documents for additional information regarding those factors that may affect these forward-looking statements. Also, we will reference certain non-GAAP measures during today's call. Please refer to the appendix of our presentation as well as the earnings press release for the appropriate GAAP to non-GAAP reconciliations and cautionary disclosures. On the call today are John Berger, Sonova's Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, and Robert Ling, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. I will now turn the call over to John. Good morning
2: and thank you for joining us. 2023 proved to be a formidable test for the residential solar industry. Macroeconomic challenges and a rapidly evolving landscape meant that companies who were unable to adapt and tackle these challenges head on have struggled or exited the market. While this unfortunate reality for some may have caused apprehension and generated negative headlines, it also presents a silver lining of reduced competition for adaptable companies like Sonova. We stand apart in this regard, fortified by our scale, robust balance sheet, agility, and forward-thinking approach, enabling us to not only weather the storm, but pick up market share and expand margins in the process. The past few weeks we have seen encouraging signs of improved market dynamics beginning to emerge. Tighter risk premiums reflected in our recent securitizations, coupled with an uptick in overall market demand as we transition beyond the seasonally softer period for customer originations, paints a more optimistic picture than many perceive. To better position Sonova for the rest of 2024 and beyond, we have continued to increase our focus on cash generation by pursuing additional margin expansion exploring potential asset sales, and rapidly implementing cost-cutting measures. To achieve cost savings, we are continuing to implement a range of initiatives, primarily focused on automation-driven efficiencies. This strategic approach will enable Sonova to sustain growth without expanding its headcount. Additionally, we've initiated an immediate pause in spending related to select growth initiatives, such as international expansion. While these initiatives are temporarily on hold, we will remain committed to revisiting them in the future contingent upon improved market conditions and an improved valuation of SONOVA's equity. Factoring in these cost reductions, we now anticipate our revised cost structure will result in a decrease of at least 20% in total adjusted operating expense per customer in 2024. Slide three highlights our growth in customer count, power generation, and energy storage under management, battery penetration, and expected contracted cash inflows for both 2024 and the remaining life of our customer contracts.
3: During the fourth quarter,
2: we placed over 34,000 customers into service, which brought our total customer count at the end of 2023 to just over 419,000, and our megawatt hours and solar power generation under management at 1,090 megawatt hours and 2.5 gigawatts, respectively. Turning to slide four, you will see as of December 31, 2023, the expected cumulative nominal contracted cash inflows associated with our customer contracts over a weighted average remaining life of twenty-two years was sixteen billion dollars. In twenty twenty four, these same contracts are expected to generate $789 million in contracted cash inflows. These inflows are the sum of all expected cash generated from customer release, PPA, and loan contracts, including those from SREX and grid services in service as of December 31, 2023. Also on the slide, we provide our expectations of levered cash flows, which, based only on what was securitized as of December 31st, 2023, is expected to be $136 million in 2024 and $4.9 billion on a cumulative nominal basis. Cumulative levered cash flows will continue to grow as new assets are added and will grow on a per annum basis as tax equity flips occur and debt is paid down. I will now hand the call over to Rob, who will walk you through our financial highlights.
3: Thank you, John. Starting on slide six, you will see our adjusted EBITDA together with interest income and principal proceeds equaled $549 million for the year ended 2023, which included a $207 million contribution from investment tax credit or ITC sales. Excluding ITC sales, 2023 adjusted EBITDA together with interest income and principal proceeds increased by $58.5 million versus the prior year. Since most expenses flow through adjusted EBITDA, including those that support our loan business, we view adjusted EBITDA together with interest income and principal proceeds as a more complete picture of our financial performance. While 2023 ITC sales were heavily back end weighted due to delayed treasury guidance, we expect a more even contribution of this activity in 2024 as we plan to continue utilizing ITC transferability, primarily from new tax equity partnerships to diversify our funding sources. Slide seven highlights Sonova's continued ability to efficiently access the capital markets. In 2023, we added $957 million in additional tax equity funds, entered into over $1 billion in asset-backed securitizations, closed a $50 million secured revolving credit facility to support procuring and selling inventory to dealers, closed a $65 million accessory loan facility, and issued a second green bond, which, together with a modest equity offering, brought in $466 million in additional capital after fees and expenses. We also expanded our warehouse capacity while securing amendments to keep pace with our origination. Through February 21st of this year, we have added another $195 million in tax equity and priced two asset securitizations at the tightest spreads we have seen in the past 12 to 18 months. In our $537 million of liquidity as of December 31, 2023, are both our restricted and unrestricted cash and the available collateralized liquidity we could draw upon from our tax equity and warehouse credit facilities. Subject to available collateral, we had $835 million of additional capacity in our warehouses and open tax equity funds. Combined, These amounts represent nearly $1.4 billion of liquidity available exclusive of any additional tax equity funds, securitization closures, asset sales, in-the-money interest rate hedges, further warehouse expansions, or other sources of liquidity during the year. On slide 8, you will find a summary of our unit economics. As of December 31, 2023, on a trailing 12-month basis, our fully burdened unlevered return on new origination increased to 12%, while our weighted average cost of debt decreased to 6.4%, respectively. This resulted in a 5.6% implied spread over the same period, the highest since early 2022. Slide nine provides additional information on our unit economics, which have improved and continue to improve into 2024 we now estimate an implied spread on near-term origination of 600 basis points. Overall, our margins have remained stickier than expected considering the declines we have seen in the weighted average cost of debt. However, we maintain that the long-term expected spread is 500 basis points. Our weighted average cost of debt, life to date, remains just over 5% as of December 31st, 2023. As a reminder, we measure our cost of capital on a yield and issue basis, rather than an interest rate basis, as this more fairly captures the effects of any discounts, fees, and capped call purchases. Slide 10 reflects the strong growth we have seen on our net contracted customer value, or NCCV. At a 6% discount rate, NCCV was $3.1 billion, an increase of 35% compared to December 31st, 2022. Our December thirty first, 2023 NCCV at the discount rate was $25.26 per share. This represents a greater than two-fold increase since we announced our triple-double-triple triple plan. Even with this significant increase, our NCCV per share ended the year lower than expected, primarily due to the timing of tax equity closures and fourth-quarter customer additions coming in slightly below our expectations. At this time, we have elected to reaffirm our 2024 full-year guidance found on slide 12. We will reassess our guidance next quarter once our lower cost structure has had more time to operate. We expect to capture approximately 15% of our 2024 adjusted EBITDA together with interest income and principal proceeds in the first quarter, increasing to approximately 20% in the second quarter, 30% in the third quarter, and 35% in the fourth customer additions are expected to be more back-end weighted with 15 percent in the first quarter 25 percent in the second quarter and the balance evenly distributed over the second half of the year this is mainly due to our new channels as well as growth in accessory and service-only sales thus the back-end weighting will be more driven by accessory loan and service-only customers as of december 31st 2023 90 percent of the midpoint of our total 2024 targeted customer revenue interest income and principal proceeds was locked in through existing customers as of that same day respectively we have updated our liquidity forecast for 2024 and are introducing guidance for 2025 and 2026 which can be found on slide 13. we now expect to generate enough cash in 2024 to provide the working capital needed to hit our growth target for the year while keeping our cash position relatively flat This will be accomplished through a combination of securitizations and sales net of operating costs. As we exit 2024, we expect to achieve an annual run rate of cash generation between $200 million and $500 million. This significant increase in cash generation beyond 2024 is a reflection of our pricing changes and can be further enhanced towards the top end of the range through improvements in treasury rates, ever tightening risk premiums, and final domestic content guidance. We are electing to sunset a recurring operating cash flow metric in favor of levered cash flows in response to investor increase around not just the cash flows from in-service and securitized assets, but a desire to see the value and cost of our superior customer service model. Levered cash flows is the sum of expected residuals from all securitized lease, PPA and loan contracts, plus all MSA fees, plus expected cash inflows from unplugged SRECs and grid services. As John noted earlier, we have continued to focus on cost reductions. However, one area that will continue to retain its investment is our collections department to ensure we are maintaining our low per annum capital loss rate, which is unchanged at approximately 25 basis points. Finally, while we forecast no need for corporate capital through 2026, for good housekeeping purposes, we will be putting in place a modest ATM in the coming weeks and will update the market every quarter of any anticipated usage. We have discussed this ATM before, and to be clear, we do not intend to utilize the ATM between now and our next earnings call. The best time to put tools like an ATM in place is when they are in fact a luxury and not a necessity. I will now turn the call back over to John.
2: Thanks, Rob. Sonova is committed to delivering a comprehensive, sustainable, and streamlined approach to energy financing, servicing, and management for our customers. We are an adaptive energy services company that has an unwavering focus on innovative technologies, integrated energy solutions, and quality control as evidenced by our investments in our Global Command Center and our Adaptive Technology Center, both designed to optimize our operations and provide our customers with a strong customer experience. In a world where perceptions are manipulated, We know there are people selectively crafting narratives that paint a picture that is far from the truth, but we stand firm in our commitment to focus on transparency and integrity, choosing to focus on the facts. For example, on slide 15, you will see, as of December 31st, 2023, only 0.6% of our customers had an escalated concern, an improvement from 1.1% at the end of twenty twenty two. Moreover, in twenty twenty three we saw an eighty percent improvement in our service response time as the average age of a closed work order went from ninety-six days as of december thirty-first, twenty twenty two, to nineteen days as of december thirty first, twenty twenty three. This marked improvement was driven by our investments in our customer service infrastructure, which enhanced and strengthened our customer service levels and capabilities. 2024 will be a year of continued growth and transformation for Sonova, with a continued emphasis on cash generation as a top priority. To accomplish this, in addition to expanding margins and the more aggressive cost reductions we mentioned, we will look to leverage asset sales as a more meaningful source of cash generation, coupled with increasing our long-term levered cash flows. Our commitment to prudent capital management and shareholder value creation remains unchanged. We remain dedicated to evaluating ways to deploy our capital with an emphasis on both maximizing returns on capital and exploring opportunities to make returns of capital. Over time, we will continue to evaluate the optimal allocation of our capital resources and will not hesitate to take advantage of attractive opportunities in the capital markets and in our rapidly changing industry. As we look to the remainder of 2024, we are excited about what we are seeing. While there is no denying that what we are doing is difficult, at the end of the day, we are transforming the energy landscape, challenging the status quo, and offering customers greater choice to help meet society's ever-increasing energy demands. With that, operator, please open the line for questions.
0: Thank you. We will now start today's Q&A session. If you would like to ask a question, please press start followed by one on your telephone keypad. If you change your mind, please press start followed by two. Our first question today comes from Philip Chen from Roth MKM. Your line is now open, please go ahead.
4: Hi everyone, thanks for taking my questions. Um, Hey John, just now you highlighted asset sales a number of times. Can you give some more color on what this uh, means? I know you have a lot of securitized loan assets on balance sheets. My guess is you would not touch any of that. Can you talk through your view of what you would do ahead? Are there any current assets available for sale? And additionally, what is the magnitude of the asset sales in 24 and 25 that is contemplated in your guidance and outlook? Thanks.
2: Yeah, Phil, thanks. Uh, no i don't we could possibly look at uh, past securitizations that probably be more on the t p o side of things would be my guess but and we are exploring some some of those but I think primarily in in our uh, plan it's really the uh, loans uh, both um, you know the the solar plus loans and the accessory loans. That we've looked to see if we could uh, sell those as assets. I think that's pretty clear that we can, and I, I, w- I would expect to see uh, some of those uh, asset sales in the course of this year. It's not the uh, even close to the majority of the cash generation that we've laid out. Uh, that is primarily uh, through our, our TPO and securitizing uh, well through our asset costs, just given the spread that we're uh, realizing and have been realizing for the last few quarters starting to come to uh, into play, so to speak, uh, as we move towards being able to securitize these assets, primarily in the back half of this year, uh, just given the timing, but uh, it's possible they'll have that in, in the latter part of the second quarter and third quarter. So this is primarily on the cash generation side, uh, securitization proceeds is, is assumed. Obviously, ITC adders uh, are a part of that, and once we get domestic content guidance, those. Uh, that's why there's a range there. Those uh, cash generation uh, for each securitization could go up meaningfully. Uh, we'd have a very conservative tax equity or ITC uh, percentage uh, compared to peers as assumed in this, so it could be uh, you know quite a bit meaningfully higher than the bottom end of that range. And then that could be supplemented with uh, loan and accessory loan sales. Uh, Rob, anything to add?
3: No, I mean that pretty much covers it. Uh, you know, like you said, Phil, we've got some phenomenal. Uh, long-term securitizations with really good pricing locked in at rates that you can't get today and and with advanced rates that uh, you can't get today. So it wouldn't make sense to really touch uh, most of what we have in our securitizations already.
4: Great, Uh, thanks guys. Um, Shifting over to OpEx, looks like the adjusted OpEx went up meaningfully. In Q4, Uh, clearly you're seeing the benefit of that in your customer service quality and metrics. Um, You talked about lowering this by 20% per customer. Uh, Can you share what the outlook is specifically for the customer service and sales and marketing line items, uh, which were each quite high on an absolute dollar basis in Q4? Uh, Can you talk about how these line items may trend uh, and scale ahead? Thanks.
2: Yeah, Phil, so some of this is, and we've attempted to uh, give more visibility by breaking out direct sales, and, and that is some of the, uh, a good portion of the sales increase. That's still a, a small minority of our origination, but it it does uh, stand out as far as uh, the sales and marketing uh, growth. Um, on the service side, I've talked uh, over the last few quarters about catching up on the service um, you know levels that we uh, have promised our customers we 've done that now uh, and then some, and so we 'll be able to uh, once we 've cleared that backlog which we 've done we'll be we 're seeing uh, a cost reduction uh, on a per customer basis that 's pretty meaningful and so you 'll see that uh, as I said peak in q four uh, you know outside some bonus payments, we pay bonuses to employees in q one. Uh, we're already seeing some pretty meaningful cost reductions uh, this quarter, the last few months. I expect that to continue to accelerate uh, in, uh, in Q2 and beyond, uh, but it's too high. Uh, there's no question about it, and we're bringing it down meaningfully and, uh, you know, slowing the growth. Clearly, you can see that in the capital uh, budgets we've laid out for 24, 25, and 26. That helps uh, to uh, uh, meaningfully cut costs as well. And then bring in the automation. Uh, That's been something that we've invested in. It's part of the spending, a big part of the spending. And I expect to start realizing some of those efficiencies or a lot of those efficiencies as soon as this quarter.
4: Great. Thanks, John. One last one here. Um, You talked about the potential for a modest $100 million ATM. On the one hand, you're saying you don't need corporate capital, but then you have this announcement. Can you share more on your thinking in terms of the rationale and timing, and also how you plan to address the upcoming uh, 26 convert maturity? Thanks.
3: Yeah, so like we said in the prepared comments, really, this is just good housekeeping, Phil. We've been talking about this publicly since at least the second quarter of last year. Uh, we plan to update the street on our intended use, but we're putting it in place now because we don't intend to use it now. Um, and you know, we frankly we we wish we'd have done it a long time ago, so it wouldn't be an issue. But it it is. So uh, we're just making sure to get it done. Um, the second thing on the converts. Uh, Our our plan on the converts is still uh, to be able to refinance both the converts and the high-yield bond and then to use the excess cash generation that we're planning on getting over the next two years uh, to pay down. So first is use cash to pay down, and second is to refinance uh, the second part of it. So between those two, we expect to be able to uh, refinance and lower our overall uh, amount of debt that we have on the balance sheet uh, pro forma for that. Uh, you know, I, I think it was brought up with uh, some of our peers as well. The cost of capital that we have is still really, really low. And the time frame that we have, uh, this is paper that's not due until 2026. The right time to be addressing it and refinancing it is in 2025, but the right time to start preparing for it is now. And that's what we're doing with looking at the cash generation uh, and with other things that we'll look to do along the way to try to uh, decrease that burden. As we get closer to the maturity dates.
2: So, Phyllis, John, I just wanted to highlight Great. two things. Uh, we we have the ability to generate levered cash flows off the existing assets. Uh, we did not uh, lever all the way through the asset, and so that's providing meaningful cash flow that frankly no one else has. And then we're also generating through securitizations and asset sales. In in my answer to your first question, additional cash. And so. Uh, we have two ways to generate the cash to to pay down the uh, debt and that's what we're focused on is uh, doing just that
4: Don rob thanks very much for all the calling i'll
2: pass it on
0: our next question comes from pranice from wells fargo your <coughs> line is now open please go ahead
1: Thanks. Uh, Good morning, guys. Just wondering if you could maybe comment at a high level on competition that you're seeing in the financing space. Are you seeing any financing-only companies offer aggressive or irrational pricing that's impacting your strategy in any way? Yeah, it
2: does, John. Uh, We are seeing some of that. Uh, It doesn't last very long. I think there's Maybe one player or two in particular that that is doing that, but the market—I'm—I'm I'm surprised. Been around the market for a while, a long time, and and I got to say, the stickiness on the price increases that we and our and uh, you know peers been able to uh, to put forth uh, has has surprised me to in a positive way. So, I think that the market is is clearly. Uh, very healthy, and we always have one or two folks that want to come into the market and then decide to buy market share. We certainly, you know, see that now. That always ends in, in a trail of tears, and in, there's no reason why that that would, you know, be any different here. But it on the margin, it you know, clearly we're we're taking share. We continue to. We're projecting that out, although, you know, slowing growth uh, really to generate the cash. But-and uh, so I don't really see it's impacting our operations much at all. Um, we continue to see a surprising amount of pricing power.
1: Got it. Um, and then I, I wanted to get your, your general view of how spreads could, could trend over the course of, of 2024. You had a roughly 6 percent implied spread now. but you'll probably continue to enjoy um, tailwinds from declining equipment costs and and tax credits. So I guess just holding interest rates constant, um, would you expect the spread to to widen over the next 12 months or are there other kind of puts and takes we should consider? No, I think
2: it's quite likely it will. Uh, And so if you you hold the rate constant, we're seeing some reduction in the risk premium. I think that, that does continue to come in from what has, been, what has been historically a really high spread uh, that materialized in 22 and 23. And even without that, though, I think, you know, hanging in on the, on the 6% plus or minus, and it may you know, go a little bit northward for a couple of quarters or so this year. Um, but, again, the price uh, pricing power has been pretty sticky, and uh, I'd expect that to continue. Got it. Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from Julian Julian smith from Bank of America. Your line is now open. Please go ahead.
5: Hi, good morning. This is Tanner on for Julian. Uh, I just wanted to ask a quick question about the EBITDA guide. Uh, is there an assumption in, for 2024 for gain on sale through loan portfolio monetization, or is this a pure upside uh, in terms of the stated guide? And do you expect this opportunity to be predictable in the sense that as we progress through 2024, you could begin to provide a target for asset sales or, or uh, monetization in the year over certain a, period, uh, a certain period of time? Thanks.
3: Yeah, that, that's really upside. I think that as we get more visibility into the market and market appetite, we'll be able to give more information. You could do it really in two ways. You can do it lumpy, or you can do it through programmatic forward flow type of programs. And I think that, you know, as we enter into those programs, that disclosure will help uh, will help season that guide a little bit.
6: All right, thank you very much.
0: Our next question comes from Brian Lee from Goldman Sachs. Your line is now open. Please go ahead.
7: Hey, guys. Good morning. Uh, thanks for taking the questions. Um, Maybe just a, a follow-up on the asset sales, um, you know, if I look at slide, what is this one, um, 13, uh, you know, you've got the $200 million and then $300 million of, you know, cash generation in 25 and 26. Uh, no, no asset sales are being embedded in those forecasts, correct?
2: Correct. Very little, uh, but on the margin – If you look at some of the loans, there could be something on the margin there, but very little that's primarily, if not wholly, you know,
7: securitized as well as the leverage cash flows. Okay, great. Um, So, John, if if you, um, you know, are base casing you know, no asset sales, Uh, it sounds, you know, like it'd be opportunistic. Um, If you do start to kind of more programmatically sell down assets and monetize them, would you, you know, first, I guess, include it in the cash generation metric? And then two, how, how additive could it be? Are we talking like hundreds of millions of dollars a year? What kind of upside to the Two to three hundred million dollar figures uh, on this slide could could we be talking about if um, you know if those asset sales started to show up?
2: Yeah, so if you look at uh, the cash flows that we've laid out, I think for the first time uh, for the first time on slide four, uh, that shows pretty meaningful as you move forward in time, as we've been talking about the last several uh, earnings calls, uh, cash uh, generation after paying all all the debt service off, right, and and tax equity. So there's a there's a meaningful amount. I mean, the cumulative nominal levered cash flow is almost five billion dollars. So there's quite a bit there uh, that we could do, and that's another avenue of if if we wanted to do it and made sense to essentially um, pay down the 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 corporate debt, uh, whether that's uh, the converts or the or the bonds, um, you know, down the road. So it gives us an again having these contracted cash flows gives us an enormous amount of optionality i think if it, there was anything meaningful uh rob you can correct me i think we would break it out for y'all to show that but
3: um bro- yeah and, and and that would be because if we did see something that was a material amount uh, we want to go ahead and call that out for you
7: all right. Yep. Fair enough. We'll stay tuned. Um, and the second question I had was, uh, again, on this slide, you've got um, you know, the investment in systems. It's growing, you know, kind of like 10 to 15 percent in 2025 uh, based on these numbers. Um, what sort of growth are you embedding in that forecast for investment? It just seems like, you know, there's a lot of cost deflation that we know about happening right now. So the growth in, in investment seems, you know, fairly meaningful unless you're implying, you know, either significant growth into 25 next, you know, or or maybe there's a mixed element in there too. Just any color there would be helpful on what uh, assumptions are baked into that. Thanks, guys.
2: Yeah, if, if you look at it, the, the CapEx, which includes all of our spending, uh, you know, uh, anything that we spend on IT CapEx, um, our software to deliver our service, our service costs, um, our overhead, you know, uh, G&A and, and sales uh, costs. That's all in those numbers, and so when you look at it, it's roughly about 4.2 uh, billion, 4.8, 4.8, and so you're you're looking at uh, very little, uh, to your point, 10-15% growth uh, from 24 to 25. So we we are, and then flat from 25-26. Uh, we 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 are meaning uh, intentionally slowing uh, the capex growth. I, I've said before in the last earnings call. I like where we were um, in that 4 to $5 billion CapEx range, uh, and I just want to sit here and generate some cash uh, at this point, particularly given where our debt's trading, corporate debt's trading, and where the equity's trading. So um, I like where we are, and we're just going to focus on how do we cut costs, um, expand margins,
7: and generate the cash. Yeah, John. I guess um, I was talking more on like the customer growth side. So you're doing 185 to 195 thousand new customer ads this year on that, you know, 4.2, 4.3 billion dollar base of investment. Um, you know, presumably 4.8 next year would go a lot further given some of the cost reductions you're making, and as well as you know cost deflation you're seeing on the hardware side. So I'm trying to get a sense of 10 to 15 percent growth. You know, modest in in investment. What what does that kind of translate to in your growth assumptions for, um, uh, you know, new customers or however you're 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 uh, quantifying it?
2: Yeah. Okay. So we haven't given out obviously customer uh, growth guidance that far out just for this year. So roughly about one hundred ninety came in roughly at about one one forty two, just a little north of that uh, for last year and And so you can you can obviously the simple math there, roughly about thirty one percent customer growth. the capex is is roughly about uh, you know twenty percent customer growth and so i I do feel like because of our different channels the the strong uptake and battery uh, only sales, upsells and load manager sales, ev charger, et cetera, and these different channels that we now have, uh, I think that will continue to have our customer count grow. A little faster than our capex growth um, and in the other side of that or the reason for that is what you're pointing out is you know declining equipment cost declining EPC you basically get more for your buck uh, in, per customer uh, that's also going to contribute to having a little bit higher uh, customer growth than capex
7: growth okay fair enough makes sense I'll, uh, I'll pass it on thanks guys thanks
0: our next question today comes from Ben Callow from BARD. Your line is now open. Please go ahead.
6: Hey, good morning. Thank you, guys. Um, just uh, real quickly on the asset sales, uh, just, one, just what are you seeing, John uh, and Rob, in the private market? Uh, and you know, uh, how, how does that impact your decision on, on sales, just valuations? If you could talk a little bit about that.
3: Yeah, so we look at the private market pricing, we look at, uh, at, at third-party buyers, and we look at the securitization market, and we, we put them one up next to the other. And what we see is that uh, they, have, they have different expectations uh, that can make uh, the pricing of certain loans more attractive uh, for securitization and others more attractive for sale. Uh, so really it's an optimization game for us. And then the other thing that is an impact uh, for us is the Hestia channel. And that allows us to be able to securitize certain loans uh, that might be flat uh, uh, if we were to sell them, uh, but then can bring personal cash uh, if we elect to securitize them instead. So it it really is an optimization game. And we spend a lot of time, uh, uh, my uh, finance team, the pricing team, uh the marketing team spent a lot of time together to try to make sure that we're pricing optimally uh and then we're tranching uh optimally uh for the right uh for the right outcome
6: thank you uh john you mentioned your prepared remarks just you know the the carnage in the marketplace Uh, i don't know if that's the right word but you know how does that affect you positively and negatively i mean there has to be some negative impact too, i imagine but could you just talk about uh, you know the health of the industry and, and impacts you.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I use that term, Ben, but uh, yeah, it's been a, <laughs> I think a challenging year. Uh, yeah, you know, look. Uh, obviously, we out executed everybody last year um, across the value chain, and you know we delivered the numbers. And uh, I, I think you know that the uh, kudos goes to um, all the folks at Sonova and our dealers for, for really just a, a, a great year. Um, now we want to, you know, focus even more about how do you get a lot more efficient, stay in this range of capex of four to five billion, and generate the cash. Just given where, you know, again, where our, our corporate debt securities and and equity is is trading, and that gets into that the, there's an overall clearly negative um, cloud over over the industry whether it's from the debt uh, markets uh, credit markets or the equity markets or you know sometimes uh, in the media we've seen that so i think that's overall just a uh, unfortunate uh, you know cloud that at some point will you know blow away uh, and uh, because the reality even when you look at california which we're not big in california uh, made that point over and over but just looking at California, I think there's surprising strength there. Um, I know there is. The, the The numbers, when you run the numbers, make a lot of sense. Why? Because the utilities jacked up rates like crazy uh, in the last 12 months, and we're continuing to see that across uh, the country. So you're selling into a industry that is increasing rates despite natural gas prices plummeting to historic lows. Uh, at in, in orders of 50%, 19%, just in the last week alone, three major utilities uh, announced rate increases 15% and greater. Uh, so, selling into that kind of market where you've got, despite fuel prices uh, dropping or at least going sideways, in the case of oil, uh, is is pretty interesting to do. And and the other side of this, you've got stabilization of cost of capital. Uh, kind of in, in the worst side of things, if you will, maybe an improvement, and you have equipment pricing that's clearly uh, declining. And then you've got additional incentives through the IRA uh, that are yet to be employed, specifically the domestic uh, content at ITC adder. So all of this is, if you look at the numbers, you look at what's going on, yeah, it's difficult to, to move uh, when you have a nim change that's as abrupt and is is significant as what California did, and and uh, that causes a lot of pain because people need to change in their behavior. And now you have to sell a battery. How do you do that? Uh, that that just doesn't uh, happen like a light switch. People, uh, some people adapt faster than others, and so I think overall the fundamentals are are, are really good across the industry, uh, and but the uh, the ability to see that uh, through the headlines negative headlines is, is very challenging. What that means for those that continue to execute like Sonova, this is a great time. Uh, this is the kind of time where you can really gain market share, it's not just us. Obviously there's another peer doing it as well, and pick up uh, you know good business and generate a lot of cash that frankly you couldn't do in, in the heyday when everybody was happy, which seems like a long time ago, but uh, you know three years ago or so, two, three years ago. So a great time, fundamentally. Uh, and this, too, shall pass. Uh, but uh, we'll come out at the other end of this much, much stronger with with new technologies, cheap, cheaper storage, and, uh, you know, better customer service.
6: If I could speak one in, too, just um, thank you for that. Just uh, coming into election year, I know we're so early. Uh, how are you judging risk or assessing risk and in, uh, you know, headed into election year? If you could just talk about that and what your policy people are, are talking to you about.
2: I'm going to try to stay away from the politics. I'm not going to say, you know, know, who would we prefer and so forth. Look, I think what's interesting is for the first time that that I've ever seen this, and being as long as I have been in this industry, we we don't really need anything. We don't. Uh, We just need what the IRA has provided to stay intact, uh, largely. And when you look at the amount of investment in manufacturing plants, uh, and and uh, even customer growth in in the so-called red states, it's pretty uh, phenomenal, uh, and and I don't think that uh, you know you can listen to some of the uh, you know message points, if you will, from some parts of, of of the political spectrum, but at the end of the day, I just don't think that this is going to go away uh, in terms of the IRA and its provisions. If anything, just being located in Houston. I will say that there's more activity on the hydrogen and carbon sequestration, and, and in our area, than I've ever seen by multiples. And very large uh, companies, so-called conventional energy, oil and gas, conventional power, are, are now fully engaged in the IRA. So I think it. I think we're in, uh, we're certainly have uh, energy policy that's in place, and I don't think, uh, regardless of the election outcome, that that's going to
1: change. Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from Joseph Osher from Guggenheim Partners. Your line is now open. Please go ahead.
6: Um, thanks and good morning, folks. Two, two questions. First, I'm wondering if we could drill down maybe a little bit more on D2 Converts, which are trading at, you know, we know the levels that they're trading at. Is, is the plan uh, really to just sort of pick away at them now with with free cash? And take the majority out of them out when you refi. Or I'm I'm just wondering if I can get a better sense as to what your plan might be for taking advantage of of the prices that those those two instruments are are, are trading at. And then I have one other question. Thanks, thanks, Joe. This is John.
2: Uh, yes, I mean we we have a lot of optionality. We have delivered cash flows, uh, and we expect to generate more cash. Uh, you know, as we uh, securitize and lever through the cost of the asset. Uh, with the ITC adders, et cetera. So you know uh, how how would we go about doing this? and obviously, you, as you pointed out, the converts are trading at a very attractive level. Uh, it is it is entirely possible that we do uh, look at uh, you know buying some of those in. Uh, those are, what I want to do is we want to execute uh, over the next uh, few weeks and and then, look to see what our options are, look to see where the market is, and then make decisions accordingly. But we do have a number of options, including, as, as we've uh, answered a couple of questions on this call already, uh, the ability to sell some of those uh, levered cash flow assets uh, that've been uh, you know paid down debt because they've been in place those securitization have been in place for years so we've got a number of weapons but it's not lost on us that the uh, debt's trading at a very attractive level and uh, our my primary focus is to make to generate the cash to pay uh, to pay that debt down and then whatever's left if it makes sense we we can refinance it as Rob said earlier Rob anything you want to add to that
3: um, yeah. We, we, we just want to be responsible stewards of capital, and, and at some point that's going to mean repurchasing in the open market, and another part, part is going to mean uh, making sure that we continue to just build up the cash. Uh, but we will, you know, we, we've got optionality between now and, and uh, later in 2025, which would be the prudent time uh, to go ahead and uh,
6: refinance
3: those notes.
6: Okay, thank you. And then, and then my other question, um, yeah, one of, uh, yeah, one of your folks said to me at one point talking about you know, dealers and making working capital available to dealers. Uh, he said, yeah, quote, we are not a bank. Um, I'm curious as you look at your customer ads this year, you know how it breaks down in terms of new dealers coming onto the platform or existing dealers expanding their footprint, just in the in the context of some of the pressure that. The financial pressure that exists on dealers out there, and, and your emphasis on on preserving uh, working capital and cash.
2: Yeah, Joe. Yeah, there's been a couple of stumbles on on some dealers. Quite candidly, we we saw those coming uh, because we're, we're, the what we have in terms of processing systems experience, uh, for instance, uh, duration holdbacks is something that Sonova Uh, implemented years and years ago. It's now become an industry standard given uh, the last couple of years. Uh, You know, I I think it's uh, clear that we know how to manage that risk better than anybody else, uh, period, full stop. And we're going to continue to do that. Uh, And when you look at where our growth is, yeah, we have a lot of new dealers coming on board. They are scrubbed um, a lot, very closely on the financial side of things, so we fail quite a few of them. And has that failure rate gone up over the last uh, year? Yes, it has. Uh, so we we uh, we do have, if you will, uh, high graded uh, the dealer uh, versus the entire you know marketplace or industry, and we're going to continue to do that. Uh, But we see very large demand uh, coming from competitors and so forth for dealers to come on board with us. And, uh, you know, we easily replaced any of those that we lost. I mean, very easily replaced. Uh, So we feel like we're in a good spot financially. We understand the risks. We're managing it. And we're seeing the growth and we're high grading um, our partners as, uh, as, as you would expect.
6: Thank you.
1: Thank
0: you. Our next question comes from Mark Strauss from JP Morgan. Your line is now open. Please go ahead.
1: Yes. Good morning. Thanks for taking our questions. Um, Just a a couple of quick ones, I think, for Rob. Uh, So fully appreciate the the greater than 20% reduction that you're targeting in in Proforma OPEX. In in 4Q, though, uh, the the Proforma OPEX was a bit higher uh, than what I think was implied in the guide can you just kind of talk about what drove that uh and then the, the the quick second question is just the the ITC sales in your 2024 EBITDA I think you said on the last call that was going to be about 15 to 20% uh correct me if I'm wrong but just looking for an update there thank you yeah no
3: absolutely so you know we did the breakout of our adjusted opex and you can see that in the back of our deck Uh, One of the drivers, some of the increase of that adjusted OpEx was the uh, increase in direct sales, and that's really a driver in the second half of the year. Uh, There were other drivers as well, but uh, some of that had to do uh, with part of the year-end push that we had. Uh, Part of it as well had to do with some technological improvements. uh, And part of it had to do with uh, what we were doing internally to help move along some WIP and just some stuff that we have to uh, expense ourselves. Uh, and don't actually put into EPC that helps to get uh, more systems up uh, built in the service. Uh, so a combination of those things. And then if you look at uh, the guide, I think we were talking about 20%, give or take, as a combination of the adjusted EBITDA plus the P&I. Um, I think that we're still looking at that the base case that we have uh, calls for uh, somewhere of around uh, uh, 35 to 40 million of ITC sales per quarter uh, on a go forward basis, we could certainly exceed that. And that is going to be a function of, uh, partially, uh, how quickly we're able to deploy our leases and PPAs. And, uh, especially as we're getting later on into the year, um, what type of, uh, ITC and tax equity partners we're bringing along. Uh, the transferability has really opened up this universe to a lot of folks, but what we tend to find is that a lot of them like the economics, uh, of, of ITC transferability. Uh, they make a few pennies on the dollar uh, to do the transfer, but then they look at the economics of tax equity and that becomes much more attractive to them. Uh, and so our goal is to continue to try to convert uh, ITC uh, buyers into tax equity partners on a go-forward basis. Got
6: it. Thank you, Rob.
0: Our next question comes from Kashi Harrison from Piper Sandler. Your line is now open. Please go ahead.
5: Uh, Good morning, and uh, thank you for taking my questions. Uh, So my my first one is on the liquidity forecast slide. Um, Does this chart assume a 7% cost of debt? And then can you guys give us a sensitivity framework for, uh, you know, changes in the cost of debt to the net change in cash forecast?
3: Uh, yes. Yeah, so what I'd say is that this is assuming the current cost of debt environment. We're not uh, we're not assuming any improvement in the risk-free or any improvement in risk premium. Although we are seeing risk uh, risk uh, uh, risk premium improvement, it does take into account the cost cuts that John highlighted, and it does take into account our current pricing as well. So if we're able to take advantage of better pricing. That certainly accretes to to those numbers. Uh, Generally speaking, I would say that uh, if you look at this capital budget, uh, about every uh, point of additional advance that we would get on our debt would give us somewhere around 45 to 50 million of additional liquidity. Uh, And then if you look at advance rates, I would say that you're probably talking about seven. seven points of advance for each point of interest expense uh sorry uh, uh each point each point of interest uh rate improvement or degradation so right now the risk-free came back up at, to about a four, four uh, 4.3 it's come back down uh since then uh there's still the belief that it goes down further in the year if you were to see a one point improvement in the risk-free without anything else changing, we would equate that to about six or seven points of improvement in advance rate. Uh, and that would translate into another, uh, at about 45 to $50 million, you could extrapolate that to another $300 uh, million of cash generation, uh, whole, assuming that pricing held steady.
6: One thing
2: Cash, is John, I, I would add that the assumption of the ITC adders in this is very conservative r- relative to others. Um, you know, I would say you know low low 30s um, all the way across. So any sort of upside potential there with domestic content is is going to move that these numbers up uh, quite meaningfully.
6: Uh, ap-
5: appreciate that. Um, it, well, uh, since you brought it up, uh, can you give us the
2: sensitivity on on the IPC as well? I mean, somewhere uh, what thirty-two to forty would be uh, our our kind of maximum. Uh, it, that may be too conservative given some other commentary, but uh, I would say we haven't considered anything north of forty.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, most of this is running at about thirty-two. So if you got up to forty, you would call that a 25% increase in the tax equity proceeds and pretty much everything else, uh, you know, your debt, my debt proceeds would go down maybe a little bit on that. Uh, so call that a net 15% increase that we'd expect to get uh, on on the total tax equity less the, uh, any change in the recourse debt. So that's yeah, it, it's not a lot, but to be, call it, you know, uh, 225 uh, to 250 uh, in this capital, in in this plan. Um, Now, there could be other additional guidance and it depends on where we end up deploying, but uh, one thing that's been very gratifying to us is that there does appear to be a really strong push for building domestic content and there tends to be an appetite for people to want to use domestic content. We just need to get the final rules in to make sure that uh that the rules actually allow us uh to uh, fully utilize it so at this point domestic content's really not even in this plan this is really a reflection of uh energy communities more than anything else uh based on where we are uh where we're building where we're targeting
5: appreciate all that color. um and then just my, my quick follow-up question uh you know spreads are uh, they're back to 600 basis points, uh, which I, I think is pretty close to where you guys were, uh, you know, prior to uh, the Fed uh, beginning to hike. Um, and, you know, presumably other experienced players uh, in the market are benefiting as well from wider spreads. You know, how, how do you think about the upper limit? Um, specifically, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what do you think that point is at which, you know, the spreads become so wide uh, that, you know, competition comes in? and then we're back to that 600 range. Is it 800? Is it 900? Is it 1,000? Just
2: trying to understand when
5: competition comes in and pushes it back to, like, a normalized level. Thank you.
2: This is John. I would say, you know, we've been consistent on saying that, uh, and and stated again in our prepared remarks, that we believe that the long-term spread is 500 basis points, um, and that's 500 basis points on an unlevered basis. Um, So, you obviously lever these assets up, and that can be quite meaningful um, spread. And when you look at our history, we've topped out something uh, closer to 700 uh, for maybe one quarter. It was uh, above two or three quarters, 600 and above. And so I I think somewhere in that six to 700 range is probably – the the peak, Uh, and uh, again, we've laid out uh, for years that we felt like it'd be 500 would be a long-term average, and uh, that that, I don't see any reason why that wouldn't uh, be the case. Now, the the only reason why it wouldn't be the case is if more competition drops out of the market for at least a period of time, it could uh, expand further, especially if you get uh, a pretty big decline in the risk-free and more importantly, the risk premiums uh, quite suddenly, uh, maybe brought on by a recession or something of that nature. And given our strong paper performance, uh, we have seen investors want to flock to it versus some of the other uh, paper markets and that could widen it out further than what I've ever seen. But um, I think right now, you know, where we are, maybe, you know, a little bit north towards 700 is
0: probably what I would consider be uh, peak. Our next question comes from Sophie Cart from Keybank. Your line is now open. Please go ahead.
8: Hi, good morning, guys. Um, thank you for taking my question. I was wondering if you could give us a quick rundown on what uh, different markets in the U.S. look like uh, in the current environment in terms of demand trends and where you see the highest growth geographically. And which ones are kind of do you consider unsellable right now and for the foreseeable future?
2: Hi, Sophie, this is John. Uh, we're, we're seeing pretty strong growth across the board, uh, with with the exception of California. That's probably you know I, I'm I'm certain it, it's more about us. Uh, most of our the vast majority of our California businesses are new homes, you know, channel. Uh, we we do have plans to to improve that uh, region, uh, and we're so small in that region on the retrofit market uh, that you know, uh, it'd be pretty easy to in, increase market share there. Uh, the rest of, you know, we're pretty seeing pretty strong growth in the islands. Uh, you know, uh, the, those markets have continued to mature. Uh, we've been building out and started those markets, like Puerto Rico, for instance, year over a decade ago. The northeast mid-Atlantic seems to be doing pretty well. Um, I would say uh, general trend uh, growth, uh, solid growth. Uh, and But what we're seeing is a lot of growth in the south and then some of these other uh, states that we've historically never have had uh, much of anything in. Um, some of that uh, is gonna be uh, enabled uh, by our, our Home Depot relationship and some of the other dealers that we've been able to bring on. So it's uh, it's something that, uh, you know, we certainly have been a bit surprised about. And, and the market, I think, you know, went decidedly from loan to TPO fairly quickly and has continued to gain traction uh, and so there's just not that many folks out there, as you know, with a, with a lease or, or PPA.
8: Mm-hmm. Got it, got it. Just helpful. And then maybe along those lines on the partnership with Home Depot and other channels uh, that you guys have, have you given any thought to addressing the structural uh, sales costs, uh, customer acquisition costs, I guess, um, in your in your markets? Um Yes, the knock on the economics of the U.S. The solar has been a higher customer acquisition costs, I'm going kind to of eat into that. So I was wondering if uh, you guys have given us any thoughts uh, and uh, strategically how can you address that at some point in the future?
2: Yes. We, we actually, with retail, we have addressed it. We, we do have a fundamentally different model. And again, this company is, is very focused on its dealers, and, and that is what we built, com- built the company on, and we're going to continue to have that, that focus on that business model. And then going into the retail channels, uh, and, and specifically you asked me about Home Depot, uh, that is dealer-driven. And so we have a very different uh, perspective and model than what others have done and and are doing in, in the retail channel. It's been very successful for us financially, for our dealers financially, and, and for our partner, retail partners financially. So uh, we have changed that model up, and, and it, it is working.
8: Thank you. I'll take the rest of the Thank you.
0: Thank you. Our next question comes from Pavel Molkonov from Raymond James. Your line is now open. Please go ahead.
7: Thanks for taking the question. At, at the risk of delving a bit into politics, um, uh, so to speak, you obviously um, you know, had the letter from the
1: Congressional Committee about Hestia. Um, that was several months ago. Can we just
2: get an update on that whole uh, situation? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, most unfortunate. Uh, it, 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 it's very clear politics are at play. But, uh, you know, to be clear, that that letter was directed at the Department of Energy and the Loan Program Office, uh, not us. Obviously, we're, we're uh, mentioned, uh, but we're not subject to any investigation uh, at this point in time. Uh, and look, what what I would say is I'm just going to focus on having us do a better and better job uh, at serving customers. Uh, there's always ways that we can improve our customer service. There's always ways that we can improve our, uh, you know, quality control, our consumer protection. Uh, we've got plans uh, that we put out, put forth about how to improve consumer protection, uh, you know, mandating service. I think the states and the you know, the Fed, federal government ought to mandate service with a creditworthy company, service companies like ourselves. We've been calling for that for years. So, you know, we're going to focus on doing a better, better job for our customer. And again, there's you know, always something we can improve on, and we're going to focus on doing that. And we're going to leave the, um, you know, the the noise, shall we say, to to, to others to deal with. Okay, fair enough. Um, can I just follow up on, on M&A? You know, you've been asked a lot about sort of selling assets. I'm curious if in the current
1: industry conditions there are any corporate m a opportunities for Sanova as a company uh, particularly when it comes to entering new geographies
2: That's a good question we we do see some attractive asset purchases that we' are taking a look at we haven't um, executed on anything yet, but we have seen that we see more of it particularly in the in the business market side of things. Uh, that may be pretty interesting to do. Uh, the In terms of the corporate act, you know, M&A, obviously we can't comment anything specifically, but uh, right now I think it's really we have all the growth we need. We need to make sure that the growth comes in at the highest possible cash generation possible. So I'm not really looking to do anything at this point in time. We don't need to. It, candidly, that was one of the reasons just shutting down the international and some of the other moves is we don't need to do it. To get the growth that we need to generate the cash, so we just need to we need to stay focused on generating the cash rather than doing some of these other things, and they'll be there uh, down the road because uh, nobody else is able to really uh, you know exp- expand and, and exploit those opportunities right now either. So um, I, I I don't see anything on the horizon, but there's always a possibility.
7: Thanks very much. Thanks.
0: Our next question comes from William Grippen from UBS. Your line is now open. Please go ahead.
1: Great, good morning, and thanks for squeezing me in here. Uh, My first one, just was wondering if you could touch on O&M costs and how you're seeing those trends relative to what's embedded in your customer value assumptions, uh, particularly in light of your enhancements in response time and
7: and service levels that you discussed here.
6: Yeah, this
2: is John. Uh, yeah we we see the cost per customer coming down rather uh, quickly uh we have uh, been putting a lot of uh, um it in place new processes we we clearly had uh, new leadership we brought in over a year ago uh and that's been a tremendous improvement so uh, the way I'd put it is we wanted to get effective, the best in the industry at, at service. We, we, I think we have done that now. It doesn't mean that we can't improve to, to go into that question I just answered from another gentleman. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, we see a lot of opportunity to improve our cost structure on the service side of things, and, and we're realizing that. So. Uh, we expect quite a bit, uh, quite large decreases in even greater than the 20% on the service cost per customer as we're moving forward uh, really from here on out, and uh, I'm quite confident we'll achieve those.
1: Perfect. And and just the last one from me here, you, you gave a pretty wide range uh, on the cash generation guidance exiting
2: 2024. Could you walk us through some of the puts and takes that would get you to the higher end versus lower end of that range? And then- Uh, you know, is is that going to be more cost of capital driven or or more a function of growth? Uh,
3: There's a a couple things that will get us there. Uh, One is uh, better ITC uh, uh, guidance. Uh, If we get the domestic content, there's a significant uplift. We would would assume we could get there. The second is if we could continue to see the uh, contraction of the risk-free sorry, the risk premium. We've seen uh, risk premium come back down, but it's still much, much wider than it was even three, four years ago when when this uh, was still a pretty nascent industry and was enjoying very tight uh, margins uh, on the risk premium. And then the third, obviously, is the risk-free. Uh, if that comes in, uh, that's a benefit. Uh, and then Finally, I would say it depends on the magnitude of asset sales. If we can accelerate some asset sales, uh, then that would end up being accretive to that cash number as well. And we could, you know, frankly, we could blow through the target, too. I mean, there's nothing that's really keeping it artificially uh, at that number, but we're uh, not trying to be uh, irrationally aspirational uh, with that with that range. Got it,
1: appreciate the time. Thanks very much.
0: Our next question comes from Donovan Schaefer from Northland Capital Market. Your line is now open, please go ahead.
9: Hey guys, um, I wanna follow up with, uh, I forget who it was, that someone else asked about customer acquisition costs. And, um, you know, with the Home Depot and the way you approach that, it sounds like, you know, you you have proactive actions and measures and things that you take to address it. But I'm curious if you can talk more generally about the overall kind of industry trends there right now. So, um, you know, I think one parallel that comes to mind and it just just kind of raises this question and, and... and makes you kind of contemplate, but but you guys are probably the best ones to to have an answer. Is you know in in the EV in in the market for commercial or sorry for uh, consumer EVs, you know there has been this sort of slower growth than maybe people were initially thinking. The idea that well you had the early adopters and then maybe some kind of you know intermediate wave of adopters and then you know a third or a fourth wave is is getting is is somehow a bit more difficult somehow and so i'm wondering if there's anything that you guys have seen at all in that and if if that has had impacts on customer acquisition costs um just any kind of commentary around there um would be helpful
2: well, certainly. I think, you know, when you look at our overall strategy being an adaptive energy services company where you're selling multiple serve energy services and services to customers, that's been a huge um, benefit to us uh, in terms of profitable, you know, growth. And we expect that uh, to continue. And so specifically as as storage pricing, as battery pricing continues to plummet downwards, um, that is enabling us to go back and, and upsell our existing customer base quite a bit. And you can see that over the years that we've done that better than anybody, frankly. And then uh, we have additional items like EV charging, load management, that's really coming to bear. It's uh, pretty interesting. And, um, you know, the you know, the other items that we offer in roofing and generators and, and all, all that has really got a pretty strong uptake. So I think one's just how do you, you know, margin stack, you know, and think about expanding the EBITDA per customer or the cash generated per customer. We've been doing that. That goes to our services per customer metric. Uh, and so we see a lot of opportunity to really drop our, our customer acquisition costs by just mining our current customer base and delivering them better and better services as as products uh, come on the market that are better and cheaper, uh, frankly. On the overall, uh Organic growth, uh, you know, outside adding new customers, you know, that continues to be where we're taking market share. And I think some, you know, big portion of that is um, our product set is uh, the widest and the best um, in the industry. We feel uh, we hear that a lot from our dealers and more people that uh, you know more dealers that want to come on board and be our dealer. And so I think it's really about the the products that we offer, the service. Service has become. Uh, something that no, nobody but us talked about to now everybody's talking about it. And how do you have great service? How do you get that power to flow? Uh, not just for the first uh, few weeks after the install, the first six months of the contract life, if you will, but how do you do that for you know 25 plus years? And having the best service and then being able to sell service only uh, even is is expanding the marketplace uh, quite nicely. So we focus on service. We focus on delivering these new products. Uh, that our, our OEM partners focus on delivering better products, uh, hardware uh, cheaper. Then I think the market will continue to expand, and the cost of acquisition will continue to go down. Uh, and we're seeing some of that in in some of the uh, southern states and the and the middle part of the country states. And so again, there's a lot more uh, good things happening in the marketplace uh, than I think uh, obviously that that most uh, you know speak of today with regards into the capital markets.
9: Okay, that's helpful. And then, just as a follow-up, if we, uh, you know, you guys have always stood out as, uh, you know, for the presence in Puerto Rico, um, some other islands, and you know, even kind of maybe more southern markets, and and less so, say, California, compared to some other uh, peers. So, I'm wondering, in terms of the LMI, you know, adder for the 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 tax credits and the IRA and, and the energy communities adders. Are you finding like, you kind of, you know, uh, uh, like luck of the draw, like you, you've, you're finding out in hindsight, gee whiz, you know, you like, I look at California in California, you're probably not going to have quite so many low or middle income homeowners. You might know, have a lot of low middle income, you know, uh, residents in the state, but, but property, you know, uh, house prices are so high um it's not as often you're going to get an overlap between home ownership and somebody's sort of position in a socioeconomic sense whereas you know maybe somewhere like puerto rico or parts of texas or other uh you know or other island nations and markets you've been in in the past um and similar thing with the energy communities um you know i'm just curious if, if it's i think of oil and gas companies that had so much acreage held by production and then the whole shale revolution happened and it was like, oh my gosh, they're sitting on a gold mine, you know, and they didn't know it. Are are you seeing any, like, a thing like that from your own geography just when you look at, like, LMI and energy
2: communities? Yeah, that's an insightful question. Uh, The answer is yes, you're right. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. I'll take the rest of my questions
6: offline. Okay. Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from Mahip Manloy from Mizuo. Your line is now open. Please go ahead.
10: Hey, uh, thanks for squeezing me in. Uh, just a question on asset sales versus ATM. Uh, I know you said none of those are planned into the, the guidance for twenty five twenty six. But but uh, in your talks today or what you're seeing, which look more attractive here? And uh, and how should we think about asset sale pricing? We keep hearing low to mid-teens for high yield tranches from some of the asset uh, managers. But, but just curious, uh, uh, w- w- how are you thinking about pricing here? Thanks.
3: So we think about pricing holistically. We think about whole stack pricing and where does it make sense to to sell assets, thinking through the entire stack versus the fully burdened unlevered return. And it's not really an either-or when we're looking at the ATM and the asset sales. The asset sales are a function of what's more attractive to us, what's going to yield a better cash return uh, and and better liquidity. Is it an asset sale or is it a a full-stack securitization or is it a securitization with – uh, monetizing the residual. The ATM, like we said, that's housekeeping. That, that's not meant to be in there. That's not something we're looking at uh, to be using. This is something that we just said uh, have been saying for a while. It has been a request of the board for much longer than that, that we go ahead and put into place an ATM. Uh, and, and again, good housekeeping uh, and the best times to do it when you don't need to do it.
10: Yeah, and just a, a question on the guidance here uh, uh, and in the prepared remarks you kind of talked about not changing at this stage and maybe on the next quarter you'll revisit it uh, so what's the upside there uh, like it's mostly on the the opEx cut or anything else we should look for and uh, uh, and how much of tax credit transferability is in the EBITDA guidance at this stage thanks.
3: Sure. Like I said, on the EBITDA guidance, we've got about uh, about 30 to $40 uh, million dollars of ITC sales uh, per quarter in there. Uh, so, in, in fairly modest and, and less than what we had produced this year. We could certainly do much better than that, uh, but it's, it's not a big part of the guidance. Uh, and then, you know, we, we have gone through the, the budget uh, process, but part of what we want to make sure is... To see how this market starts to develop, uh, to see how uh, we do with uh, uh, lease and PPA growth versus loan growth, uh, as well as making sure that we can roll through and grind out a lot of the cost cuts uh, that we've been doing, and see what uh, see if we can get some additional impact and, and uplift there. Uh, so we don't necessarily expect guidance to change. Uh, but admittedly, it's a pretty wide range out there, so we're hoping to be able to maybe tighten that up a little bit and get a bit more granular there.
6: Can appreciate that. Thank
0: you. Our next question comes from Dylan Nisano from Wolf Research. Your line is now open. Please go ahead.
1: Hey, good morning. Thanks for your time. Uh, I know we're running a bit long here, so just one quick question for me. So you said on uh, the prepared remarks that you may update 2024 guidance once you see how cost cutting is playing out. We've laid out some upside cases for EBITDA, but I'm also wondering: is there a scenario where customer additions may be a bit lower as you you reduce the growth initiatives? Any elaboration on that comment would be appreciated. Thank you.
2: Yeah, this is John. Uh, you know, possibly, but I think we feel pretty good about you know where where this range is. Uh, I would say that we had, you know, as we cut our CapEx down from the Q3 call uh, for this year, uh, we clearly had customer additions north of this range uh, in in our plan. And so I think we're just coming back into plan. So we feel pretty good about, you know, where we are. Again, uh, we have the ability with the accessory uh, channels and and the other services uh, to be able to uh, uh, sell more or grow customers uh, faster, as I mentioned earlier, than our capex growth. So, right now we feel pretty good about um, our trend here. Uh, we are seeing more and more pickup on on growth uh, in, as the quarter goes on. So that's uh, you know quite nice to see for obviously us, but also the industry as well. And so uh, you know I, I think we're I think we're going to have a a better year overall as an industry than than people think. And certainly you know we're on track to. What we feel like is going to be a, a yet another uh you know record year for us
5: great thanks john
0: we have time for just one more question from amit saka from bmo capital markets your line is now open please go ahead
7: hey thanks for squeezing me in um i think um, in the past you guys kind of targeted a 60 percent uh, debt to cap ratio um, and we've been a little bit north of that the last couple of years. I was just wondering if, um, you know, maybe that ratio,
1: you've got more uh, ability to kind of add more leverage, uh, given the size, like, the increase in size of the overall entity, or are the asset sales going to be designed to kind of bring you back towards that 60%? And, and that's kind of what we're kind of trying to drive towards.
2: Yeah, you're right. So we've we've been targeting that 55 to 60, and we're about 68. Been pegging there for the last few quarters. Uh, we're we're a we're, you know, long-term target is to bring that down in the 55 to 60. So again, primarily focused on generating cash and and paying down debt. So even with selling of of assets and monetizing, I would I would uh, expect to see that to be a net reduction of debt, uh, or, or wouldn't necessarily make that much sense to do. So. We're, we're going to bring that down. I think that's a good call out and it's something that uh, clearly it's my top uh, top focus.
1: Okay. And then like something within kind
7: of like the, the loan portfolio, um, you guys talked about kind of what sorts of assets would be more, I guess, make more sense for you to kind of potentially uh, look at monetizing. Um, like, can you just give us a sense for like, you know, how, like, what's the, what's kind of the notional value of of that, whether it's, Loans
1: or TPOs? On the, on the
2: marginal origination, it, that which has not been securitized yet? Yeah. No.
3: We, we probably got uh, not quite a billion uh, within in-service and within the uh, warehouses right now uh, on loans uh probably won't generate another call it billion of uh, net origination over the course of the next 12 months uh so that's that's your pool of existing assets that we could go after uh absent uh absent a pickup in uh, loan origination great thanks
8: thanks for the time good thank you
0: That concludes the Q&A portion of today's call. I will now hand back over to John Berger for any final remarks.
1: Thank you.
2: We are going to continue aggressively pursue cost cuts to improve our operating leverage. We're going to continue to expand our margins. Most importantly, we're reaching scale and we're prioritizing cash generation. We look forward to updating you on our execution as we work to deliver excellent energy services to a growing number of customers around the country and to deliver returns to our shareholders. Thank you for joining us.
0: That concludes today's Synova fourth quarter full year 2023 earnings conference call. You may now disconnect your line.